Ready? Hey guys, what's up? I'm Shama. And I'm Tiffany, and you're listening to Chai Tea Party. We are a podcast that recognizes the underdogs, the brave, the creative, and the slightly off in the Desi community. about you too like um your name your age where you're from things like that okay yeah okay so my name's alexa roman i am 24 years old i live in san diego california um i pretty much grew up in california i was my family's from the east coast Um, my dad was born in bangladesh my mom was born in india and they kind of came here for high school and assimilated that way um and then we moved out to California, and I've been living in Southern California since then, and have just recently moved out on my own about oh, no. a year ago, <laughs> so finally becoming independent, um, <laughs> later than my parents would have liked, um, but, so yeah, so I work in human resources, I've been doing, like, the corporate nine-to-five life for about three years now, so um, I feel like I have the everything sounds like an adult on paper I don't really feel like one in real life though um we know that struggle yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) very real um so yeah um that's just kind of my background um I will just kind of oh I'm very my family I will say is like very out of touch with our culture (laughs) oh yeah they came here um as much I'm pretty much like a Bollywood Indian I what I know about like India is from Bollywood I mean my family's super Indian for some reason my parents decided not to really pass that on to us um, which is really interesting um because they both grew up there but so yeah that's kind of a little bit about me is that weird Um, like if when you meet other Indian people because like I know at least here if like you meet other Indian people they assume that you're like you like know a lot about the culture and like you're very Indian is there like a disconnect when you meet people and you're like no 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 (laughs) I think so I've definitely never I didn't do like the whole I grew up around Indians and I went to like Indian parties and like my mom's friends and aunties and like things like that that never really happened with us um Mm -hmm. the I think the extent of my exposure is like going to Garba like once in my life Oh, um, I've never been to an Indian wedding, so yeah, oh, wow. yeah, like it's really odd when I like meet Indians because they just assume they're like, oh, so you're Punjabi, like, what part of Punjab are you from? I'm like, oh, let me text my grandma, like, I'm not really <laughs> sure. Um, so it's definitely kind of weird, but I do still feel like that strong connection with my culture. I actually went to India um, about two years ago with my mom, so it was my first time as an adult, and it was just this completely eye-opening experience where I just fell in love with the culture um and the outfit and just I didn't want to leave and so that was really kind of my cultural awakening um and then I kind of got more involved um and started going to trying to make an effort to make Indian friends I guess (laughs) Um, which is kind of 
not Indian people. Um, <laughs> we have two here in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I guess I'll just kind of jump right into my story. Yeah. So um, I had just gotten out of college. I went to UC Riverside, which is pretty much in the desert. Um, I studied in business. I had a degree with H- in human resources. I had been working at this company in San Diego for about um, a year. Um, and I, everyone always says, don't date somebody from work. I am a testament to say, please don't date anybody from work. (laughs) Like, it is, I didn't listen when people said that, and obviously it's led me to where I am today, but, um, so I met this guy at work, um, people had always kind of told me, like, oh, he's so into you, like, blah, 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 like, you should go out with him and I was just like no I work in HR like that's the complete opposite of HR (laughs) I'm supposed to prevent people from dating at work so I'm definitely not going to do it myself but for some reason after about five months of people just kind of whispering about him I showed up to work on Halloween it was literally the day after I came back from India I went back to work where I had my kind of cultural awakening. (laughs) I showed up to work on Halloween dressed up as Cleopatra. um, And I was kind of, um, and I was just kind of walking around. I walked out on my break like I normally do. And this guy dressed up like Johnny Cash came up to me and said, like, I've liked you for so long. Like, do you want to go out sometime? And in my head, I was like, no, don't do it. Don't do it, Alexa. Like, this guy is at work, but I don't know. To this day, I have no idea why I said yes, but I did. So, um, looking back, I guess I wish I would have thought about it more. But about a week later, we went on our first date. I showed up. Um, This is, like, the funny part of it, which is so weird. He had texted me and was like, hey, let's meet at my house and take a cab to the restaurant. And I was like, why would I do that? Like, don't you have a car? Like, I have a car. Like, I'm just going to drive there. (laughs) And that was, like, when I found out, like, oh, he didn't have a car. And I was like, what? And then I'm just like, who is this person that I'm going on this date with? Um, Not that not having a car is bad. I mean, you could be trying to save the environment. I don't know. But um, so I, like, showed up, and he's just there. And I'm like, oh, he's not as... He's not, as, he's not as cute as I remember. <laughs> um, just already bad vibes going into it. And then we went in and we just talked and he kind of like shared his background. He has recently been out of rehab um, about six months cl- um, clean from drugs. He was a heroin addict. Um, this was his first real job at the company. Already like alarm bells are going off in my head. Like get out, get out, get out. Um but there was something about him and the way he carried himself and his charm because he was not attractive. Like, I, like everyone always says, like, why did you stay? Like, was he hot? And then like, no, <laughs> he wasn't. Like, so it really has nothing to do with looks. It's really how, just, like, how vocal he was about how much he was into me. Right. And I'd never experienced that in my life. I was this, like, 21-year-old, really sheltered girl, um, and I just had never had a boyfriend, and this guy was just so interested in me that I, I guess, was attracted to that. And so then on, we kind of, like, continued to start dating, um, and it got 
serious very quickly, which was for me great because of course every girl's dream is to like get married and have kids and I had always wanted to do that very young so I was like this is awesome this guy is just like really into me and wants to be very serious I didn't think that his past with drugs was that big of a deal it wasn't that as scary as it should have been to me and that was because I had never been around drugs I'd never seen them never known anyone that's done drugs so I just figured, oh, you know, when you quit, you quit, and that's it. Like, you never do it again. Right. He went to rehab. He's done with that. And so, to me, that was just his past, and he has this great career, and he's moving forward. So, it was good. It was great at the beginning. It was perfect. It was – he was everything I wanted in a boyfriend. Um, he would buy me really extravagant gifts. We worked together, so he'd bring me flowers to work all the time or, like, bring me lunch. Like, it was just – I was, like, over the moon. Um, And then slowly and slowly just incidents started happening. He would call me drunk at 3 in the morning and ask me to come and pick him up. Or that would happen so many. He'd show up drunk at my apartment and bang on my windows until I would open on, like, a work night, which Mm -hmm. for me was, like, a big deal because I'm very, like, Mm -hmm. I need to be at work on time. Like, I'm very have a very strong work ethic so slowly and slowly this other side of him started coming out he would just party a lot and he would be very hard to get a hold of so that was if if I needed to call him he wouldn't answer but if he needed to get a hold of me it was just God forbid calling you don't and calling answer. and calling yeah. and I he would go days without calling me back days where I wouldn't know where he was and he would when I'd get upset about it, he just wouldn't even think it was that big of a deal. He looked at me like I'm crazy for mm-hmm. thinking that, like, why am I upset? I couldn't reach my boyfriend for two days. That's not a big deal. Right. Um, and so I started to believe, like, oh, maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe I don't know what relationships are like, and maybe this is what relationships are like. Um, and he kind of convinced me that I was in the wrong and should not have been upset about it. So it really started with, like, this break of communication, these him trying to like convince me that I was just like really crazy and overbearing Mm -hmm. for things that probably were just basic things you had in a relationship um and then I just realized his temper would just slowly get worse it started and I remember the specific incident of like the first time that I should have been like you need to get out and we were in the parking lot of like a mall because I shot side note I shop a lot um we were in the parking lot of a mall in the car and I had said something I don't remember what it was but he literally turned and looked at me and his eyes completely changed um it was like this face and this person I'd never seen before and he grabbed my wrist so hard that it bruised um and I could feel his fingernails in my hand and he like looked at me and was like don't you ever fucking say that again and I said stop I was like you're hurting me and he just wouldn't he just looked at me like I'm not gonna stop like and that was like the first time I saw this other person in my significant other and I just kind of sat there for a little bit while he switched back to it was just like a switch he went right back to normal and I kind of sat there and I was like did that really happen and should I be concerned about it but then I said you know like I said something that probably set him off so this is my fault again so you know I deserve what just happened and so it really just started off with little things just 
the anger slowly and slowly getting worse and worse for little things that normal people don't get upset about and it just kind of spiraled from there um he was just I call it he was conditioning me um he was really breaking me down slowly isolating me from my family um we worked together so it was really just like I basically lived with him we went to work together and we went home together Mm-hmm. Um, there was no escape. I stopped talking to my family. I stopped talking to my friends. And then he relapsed um, without me knowing. So then his mood really just completely changed from then on. Um, and how far in the relationship was that? When he relapsed? He relapsed about eight months into our relationship. Okay. And up until that eight months, it was very on and off. There was this full-on cycle of we'd be so happy he'd get so upset with me find something minuscule that I had done make me feel like I'm just this horrible person break up with me completely shatter me and then we just wouldn't talk for like a few weeks and then he'd want me back and this went on for about eight months so already I'm just this emotional wreck he's made me completely like dependent on him to like live life Mm -hmm. and then he relapsed without me knowing, and that's when the abuse really, I guess, got physical, more physical than um, it was. And so, I don't even know how to like describe the physical abuse, because when I think back on our relationship, I don't, I can't really remember those incidents, and I've had a hard time kind of trying to put myself back in that situation and when they really come back and when I can really remember them is honestly through flashbacks um I think I've chosen to kind of push that to the back of my mind as like a way of coping with what happened Mm -hmm. but I do know that there was a lot of choking there was a lot of slapping there was a lot of pushing and shoving and punching and just (laughs) something that you I don't know. It's just really hard for me to remember, but I know that those things happened. And yeah. Is that ever hard when you, like, are trying, I mean, not even trying to think about, like, specific moments, but then, like, not being able to, uh, like, when you're trying to call upon those memories and they're not coming, does it ever make you, like, second guess everything? Like, the, the, the bigger picture of it? It does, because it's so... And I was telling someone this the other day, like, when I share my story, and this is the first time I'm actually really sharing my story with anybody, like, the full story. When I share my story, it doesn't come back in, like, specific incidents, like, at all. It's Mm -hmm. so hard for me when I am talking to, like, even describe one specific incident. Um, It just all comes back as, like, one, which Mm -hmm. is so overwhelming to just see all these flashes of everything really quickly and not be able to grab onto one and like talk about it and really process it. And I think that's where I've had like the most difficulty in my recovery and in my truth and realizing my truth is just that. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to get to the point where it's like, I can talk about one specific incident. I think I'm only ever going to be able to talk about it as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I just do that to protect myself because I don't want to take myself back into that, I don't know, 
whoever that girl was when that happened. And when I do have those flashbacks, it is of specific incidents. And so it's very, very, very hard to talk about. And to relive them is traumatizing. Like, they're full-body experiences. And I had my first flashback um, when I was in rehab, which I'll get to. But, um, yeah, so it's really hard to kind of, like, talk with you guys and be like, oh, this specifically happened. Like, this is when he choked me. This is when he pushed me against the wall. Like, it's all, to me, just, like, one glob of just abuse. Um, And so while, I guess, getting back to the story, when he relapsed, I found out I was pregnant. Um, So this is about a year and a half into our relationship, and that's when I found out he had relapsed. And so I found out I was pregnant. And that, for me, was just horrible because I, like I had mentioned, was always like, I want that serious relationship and I want kids and I want to do it early. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of torn between like, okay, I'm pregnant, but not with this person that I want to be with mm-hmm. and with this person who is dangerous and who abuses me, but I love him. Mm-hmm. So I kind of confronted my boyfriend and was like okay like this is what happened and he just completely went hit rock bottom and like went on a binge of like heroin um and I didn't see him for like a week um and when he came back he was just um he was detoxing which is horrible to witness as I'm pregnant and (laughs) watching your heroin addicted boyfriend try to detox so that you can have a conversation about this child so it was just going through that amount of stress while being pregnant and being in an abusive relationship and being with an addict I think like a part of me I think that's when I feel like I pretty much died like as a person (laughs) like where I kind of hit my threshold of like how much I can take I think was then um and he I found out when he was gone for a week had been 5150 because he tried to kill himself by overdosing um so when I found that out again stress levels like I'm like oh my god I can't do this on my own if he dies like what am I gonna do Mm -hmm. I'm pregnant my family doesn't even know I haven't talked to my family in forever my friends don't know Mm -hmm. so he basically told me and gave me this ultimatum, like, if I have the baby, he's going to kill himself. So, at that point, of course, I took it as a real threat because he had just been released from the psych hospital. And so, it was the hardest decision I've ever made in my life was to get an abortion. I never thought I would get one. I always said, like, oh, Alexa, if you have the means to take care of a child at whatever point you are in your life, like, I can't justify it as long as I would be able to take care of the child. And I know I could have been able to take care of the child. I just couldn't bring a baby into a world, into this disaster of the life that I had with this person. Because who knows? In a way, I think maybe I, I like to... I don't know, comfort myself by saying, like, I gave his or her life because Mm -hmm. who knows what kind of danger I would have put them in if this abuser was their father. I would be attached to this guy Mm -hmm. for 18 years, Mm -hmm. like, longer than that. And I know myself, and I know that 
I would have just ended up with him and been in this abusive relationship. I would not have the power to even get out still. Mm -hmm. So that was a really hard decision for me, but it's something that I've definitely not processed and have refused to process um, in my therapy moving forward. It's just a sore subject that I can't talk to anybody about, really. I refuse to think about it. It's just this thing that I know I will regret for the rest of my life. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's that. And so the day after I got my abortion, he broke up with me. Um, and I lost it. I completely, I don't want to say crazy because I didn't know how to be alive anymore. I stopped going to work. I didn't leave my room. I couldn't cry. I was just this walking zombie. I wasn't eating. I over the course of all of this abuse, had lost about 25 pounds, so I was completely underweight. My hair started falling out. I stopped taking showers. I was just literally confined to this one room in my apartment, not eating, just sleeping all the time, relying on sleep meds to just keep me asleep all the day long so that I didn't have to wake up and like face this reality because I could not... I could not process it. My brain and my mind refused to process anything that had happened. It couldn't handle it. Like, I could not handle it at all. And I was on so many different medications at this point because I had been seeing a psychiatrist and a therapist trying to, like, trying to fight this on my own. And really, I tried to fight. I did. I so tried to, like, take my life back. But I couldn't. And... I was so heavily medicated on like Xanax and sleeping meds so that she could just not feel anything because any ounce of pain just completely broke me. Like, just, I couldn't, I don't even know how to describe where I was at. And then about two weeks into that kind of collapse of my life, I tried to overdose on Xanax and... I pretty much just gave up. I wrote out my suicide notes. I said goodbye to my mom on the phone. She didn't know that, but in my head, that was my goodbye call to her. And and I tried. It didn't. Obviously, it didn't work. Um, and then the next day, I voluntarily checked myself into a psychiatric hospital. And I was diagnosed by the psychiatrist there with PTSD, postpartum and anorexia as well as major depressive disorder um so i spent about three nights in the psychiatric hospital and that's where i kind of was like i had this epiphany and just kind of this eye-opening experience when i was sitting there with all of these other patients where i was just like i am not crazy i am not this crazy person like i had a life before I had a will to live before how did I get to this place like how am I here I like remember calling my mom like bawling saying get me out of here get me out of here like I'm not crazy like it was it was terrifying being there because they strip you of everything Mm -hmm. 
like the check-in process is so like they dehumanize you and depersonalize you and like I couldn't even wear a bra because there was wires in it there were no doors on the rooms like there was no towels there are no sheets there's no trash cans there's no soap or toothpaste or toothbrushes like it is nothing you have nothing but to sit there with your thoughts and go crazy with other crazy people like and I have a psychiatrist telling me basically like this is how you're these are the men you're going to attract for the rest of your life so you need to learn how to deal with this like I he said this to me like when I was in the hospital and he basically told me even though I checked in voluntarily like if you leave we're going to 5150 you so you need to wait until I clear you to get released can you explain just for listeners what that means for people that don't know yeah 5150 is a three-day hold um psychiatric hold that psychiatrists can enforce and are enforced by officers as well it goes on your record um it's for people who psychiatrists believe are a danger to themselves and others and that stays on your record right so if you apply for jobs that's on your record too exactly yeah so i was like that is not happening, so I will just stay until you release me, but... That's crazy that the person that, when you come in, you're obvious that you're most vulnerable, and right. you decide to check yourself in, and then you have a guy who's supposed to be on your side who's telling you essentially you're screwed for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I pretty much sat there like, okay, there's something wrong with me, and that is why I'm attracting these right. type of mm-hmm. men, and that... It's something about me I can't change, and that's going to be for the rest of my life. And so I was—I knew it wasn't true, but I had to just, like, go along with whatever to just get released. Because I was literally, if I had stayed there too much longer, I would have went crazy. Like, I don't know how to describe what it's like to be in a psych hospital, but walking around in a gown all day long, not having like makeup and being able to like wash my hair and brush it or even have a rubber band for my hair was just and me thinking I was only going to be there for one night so I didn't have any clothes with me so it was just like horrible like all of it was horrible like not being able to change your underwear is like the worst thing ever um literally so the moment they discharged me I was well I guess I'll go back so my epiphany in the hospital was my psychiatrist had told me when I first went to him and told him my story and told him who I was in a relationship with, he basically told me, he said, Alexa, if you stay in this relationship, either you're going to kill yourself, he's going to kill you, or you're going to become a drug addict. And as I sat here in the psych hospital after trying to take my life, that's when it really hit home. And I was like, oh my God, like, what have I done? what have I let happen to me? And I got released and my parents, my mom actually came with me to check me into the hospital. She had no idea what, what, like at all what was going on. Had no idea why I tried to kill myself. Like, um, she picked me up, uh, and it was like the weirdest drive home ever. I think as a parent you kind of don't know like can I leave you alone like you were just in the psych hospital trying to kill yourself like I I know you're an adult but like I'm afraid to leave you by yourself and I don't think my parents like I don't think they understood like how this happened I don't think they really 
knew, like, I don't know, to them, like, taking your life, I don't think they understood that. Like, what can bring a person to that point? And I think that was, like, one of the hardest things that even to this day I don't think my parents understand. But my, I guess while I was in the hospital, my family kind of got together and found this facility that deals specifically with women's issues. It's a women's facility with victims of, like, abuse, uh, sexual, physical, anything like that. Um, they found it, and they basically said, like, you are going to take a leave from work, and you are going to go there and be there for a month. No questions. Like, you have to do this. And the next day, I got a bed at this facility, and I checked in, um, and it saved my life. Like, truly saved my life. I... If I had stayed one more day, and I really believe this, I would have succeeded in my attempt, and I know I would have, because I was just completely lost and broken and had no will to live. Without this man, life was not worth living. Mm -hmm. I lost my baby, I lost my the love of what I thought was my life, and I had nothing left. And so, I'm so grateful and will forever be grateful for my to my parents whilst they did not understand what was going on they found people who did and got me the help that I needed and I I can't ever thank them enough for doing that because I know so many people out there don't have that opportunity um and things could have gotten much 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 worse um Mm -hmm. so here at this facility I heard the term domestic violence for the first time and I thought why are my therapists using this word all the time like I was not in a domestic violence relationship like I had just been broken up with and I was just depressed because I got an abortion and all of then I lost my boyfriend like mm-hmm. and then they they were like Alexa you were abused and I was like I mean yeah he smacked me around a little bit and yeah he choked me or yeah he like forced himself on me but you know like I wasn't abused like (laughs) I was like that wasn't what happened and then she was like okay I'm clearly not getting through to this girl (laughs) like she's in complete denial that she was abused so she printed out this um paper and on it was this printout with a diagram of battered women's syndrome and she kind of sat there and went through it with me, and that's when I kind of was like, holy shit, like, I am a battered woman, (laughs) like, (laughs) this is exactly the cycle of my relationship, where it's this honeymoon phase, and everything is great and perfect, and then an incident happens, and it gets really bad, and then they just say, oh, I'm not going to do it again, they bargain with you, they give you gifts, and then you just think it's not going to happen again, and then back to the honeymoon phase, and then over and over and over and over, and I was sat there in shock, like, complete shock that, first of all, to admit to yourself that you're a domestic violence victim is so hard, because I feel like everyone always says, like, oh, I would never let something like that happen to me, and I would never let if, like, a guy ever put his hands on me, like, I would be out of there in a second, and while that might be true for some people, and I was definitely one of those people that said that, um, 
that didn't even pop into my head after I got slapped where I was like oh I should run away and I would never let a man put his hands on me yeah because it's different right when it's you it's always different it's so completely different I can't even explain the type of mindset you're in you just don't even think it's wrong right there's no other way to explain it you just think this is love Mm -hmm. this is I did something wrong it was me I deserve it so Hearing that and really coming to terms with the fact that no, it wasn't me and no, it was him was so hard to do because I'd always just been so self-deprecating and been like, it's me, it's me, it's me. I caused all of this. And then for it to be like, no, he's an addict. He's an abuser. Like, he's a narcissist. Like, this is why he does what he does. And they actually sat there and, like, broke it down for me. And they're like, women who are in relationships with people that abuse that are substance abusers are like even more likely to be victims of domestic violence so just hearing all of them and just having them spit out all these facts at me and I was just like holy crap how am I gonna tell my parents this like (laughs) like that was the first thing that came into my head or that like no one is gonna believe me Mm -hmm. that was the other thing like sure these therapists believe me but like am are my parents even gonna believe me like I'm having a hard time believing this like and that's when I think it was my mind's way of kind of just like shutting everything out and then that's when the memories start coming back and that's when I start getting the flashbacks and this had a lot it was apparently PTSD what I learned was was happening where I would be in the middle of a group session freeze start shaking and just start bawling because in my mind I'm just seeing all of these images and reliving it to the fact where I'm not no one can console me I'm shaking I'm scared for my life I just remember like thinking like he was there he was there he found me mm-hmm. um which is traumatic like it was that the first time I had a flashback I was like okay there's a lot more to this than I know and there's a lot the effects of what happened to me is much greater than I thought. Because I always, people always, I don't know, I think they think of, like, the physical abuse and don't really associate kind of the mental effects that come with being in a domestic violence relationship. And it's a lot. It's so much. Like, when they sat down and were like, this is what's wrong, this is what we're diagnosing you with, like, all of these different things. And I'm like, okay, I need to get through all of that. And I also need to, like, heal physically from, like, the abuse that I faced. So, it's easy. I mean, for me, luckily, I didn't have any permanent, like, damage from the physical abuse that I faced. It was all pretty much mental. Um, And even, I mean, it's all very recently. It's only been about five months since this happened. But I know that I'm going to deal with the mental effects for the rest of my life. Like... I have to be on so many different pills to just function and have a normal, just to be at a normal level and to go to work and go to bed, like just normal things that people do. I have to take a bunch of pills to do them so that I'm not having flashbacks throughout the day and so that I'm not having anxiety attacks and panic attacks of every little thing. And at first that's like, really hard to kind of come to terms with that like to even be normal you have to be on medication so it's like what is my regular like what am I like off of all of this 
like I'm so afraid of that person I'm so afraid of finding out who I am off of these meds and it's gonna be like this uphill battle moving forward but anyways so I left this treatment center this whole new brand new woman walking out like I went in there basically this like corpse and came out just renewed and refreshed and empowered and I took back my life and I have come to terms with my truth I'm not ashamed of what happened to me I'm not ashamed or embarrassed that I stayed in it as long as I did because it is my truth it is what happened and it made me who I am today and I don't regret it for a second I I think what I was most fearful of is people saying like if you knew you were being abused why did you stay like that's like the one thing everyone always asks me after you got hit the first time why didn't you leave and it's just such a complex answer there's just everyone's answer is gonna be different it's not just this like he hit me so I left like it's never like that it's never gonna be a basic simple answer and I don't even know if there's a right answer to that question like Mm. (laughs) I can't even answer it but I don't know why I stayed I don't know why I went on that second date do I beat myself up every day about why did you go on that second date with him I used to now I don't because I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to hate myself for making bad decisions. Like, they happened. This person came into my life. I didn't let what happened to me happen. This person manipulated me and conditioned me and abused me. Like, it was not my fault. And I think that's what, I think that's what survivors have, like, a hard time coming to terms with is, like, it's not your fault. Like, you didn't let it happen to you. Like, this is, like, these men seek out this type of person. They feed off that energy. Like, it's so hard to explain, but, like, I went to, like, a psychic, and she was, like, he fed off your light. Like, he saw this, like, really bright light, and this guy just, like, fed off of it. And I was, like, oh, my God. Like, They say that about, like, narcissists, though, like, covert narcissists. That's what they use as their, like, she said, like, that's their fuel to their fire Mm -hmm. is, like, being able to feed off of someone's positivity and kindness, like, that's what gets them going, and that's how they're able to pick people out. Right, and, like, I don't want to think that he got, like, some sort of pleasure from it. I just think that's, like, what he needed as a person, yeah. like, to live and be happy with himself, I guess. Like, I try not to think and, like, analyze, like, why he did what he did, because right. at the end of the day, there's no reason that can justify, like, what he did Mm -hmm. um and he's just gonna have to live with that unfortunately I did not press charges I didn't do anything where he could be reprimanded I just have to kind of live with the fact that he is just gonna have to live with it for the rest of his life and he's not working at your company anymore right no 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 no. he got fired (laughs) thank god was that after a different incident that he got fired he got fired for a drug-related incident Oh, well, good. That got him. That got him back pretty quick. Yeah. So I feel a little. It was kind of nice to hear that. A little yeah. Bit. Um, I found out when I got out of um, 
the center. So oh, I was really? Like, Thank That's... God. I thought I was going to have to, like, uproot my life and, like, right. move somewhere and, like, get a new job. So I think yeah. maybe higher powers were working in my favor then. Um, well, so if, you're, if your coworkers were kind of there for, like, the beginning of your relationship, did they like see the progression in your in your relationship too like did they know once you guys broke up did they know why things like that because I know sometimes with coworkers, they knew it can something be was personal. wrong I don't okay. think they knew they had an idea they didn't know about his past I was just like I mean they knew we were together but I never like shared like oh he was a drug addict or like any of that but they definitely saw me change as a person and they did they ever it's, confront you about it? They did. Oh, really? Um, they actually did, and they... This was, like, right before I tried to kill myself. Um, they actually pulled me aside, and we are like, we've... Because I'd lost so much weight, it was so visible, like, yeah. physically, what was happening to mm-hmm. me. I just was, like, a zombie. I, at this point, was not working full days at work. I had gotten intermittent leave from work just because I could not handle being there all day. Yeah. Um... And so, obviously, something was going on with me. I, like, again, stopped showering. <laughs> like, uh-huh. it was, like, very obvious or probably smelled obvious that, like, <laughs> something was wrong. Like, um, so they definitely did pull me aside and asked if I was okay. Of course, I said, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I just, like, I'm going through this weird phase right now where, like, I'm just not that hungry. And I don't know <laughs> yeah. why I'm losing weight because I eat McDonald's all the time. Like, right. you just make excuses um, to protect that person. Um, so, yeah, they definitely pulled me aside. I don't think they believed me for a second because the next week I left work for a month. So nice. um, I definitely found a lot of support from my coworkers. And I definitely, like, that's the one thing I appreciate is that I have this support system. My family, my family, I don't, I think my mom understands. I think my dad chooses not to understand because he doesn't want to, I don't think he wants to know that his daughter was hurt. Yeah. And I don't think he wants to admit that some man hurt her physically. It's different to be like, oh, your boy, her boyfriend broke up with her, but, like, this man put my life in danger. Like, he would have killed me, and I did. I think my dad kind of feels like it's a little bit of his fault that maybe I was seeking out some sort of father figure and found somebody in this guy. And I know my therapist actually kind of said that to him one time, sat him down and said, like, Alexa was seeking out someone like her dad. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and I I think he really kind of took that to heart a little bit and blames himself a little for what happened. I definitely don't blame my dad at all for what happened. I think that it was all by chance. This man came into my life at a time when I was sort of vulnerable, I guess, mm-hmm. and wasn't educated on domestic violence and didn't know the signs and what to look for, didn't even know what it was. Mm-hmm. So... I don't even, I don't blame anybody. I think it can happen to anyone. That's the thing about domestic violence. It literally, it doesn't matter what income you make, what background you have, what kind of family you came from, what kind of job you have. It doesn't matter. It happens to, it can, it's been happening to anybody. Like, one in four women, the facts are ridiculous. One in four women in their lifetime will experience it. Every 90 seconds, a woman is abused in America. Like, when I found these things out, it, it was disgusting. Like, mm-hmm. I have this great support system, 
I, but how large the support system of survivors is, is ridiculous. The fact that there are that many survivors is unfathomable. Like, it's an epidemic. Mm -hmm. It really is. And I think that's what helped with my healing process was, like, becoming educated about domestic violence. And really, like, I sat there and I started watching, like, documentaries about survivors and their stories. And I just kind of was like, this is not okay. Like, why is nobody talking about this? Why is no one doing anything about this? Mm -hmm. Like, why is this not in the news more often? Like, it, it was... And I was like, why didn't I know about this? Like, why? It's because it's so prevalent and affects so many women. How did I not know about this? Mm-hmm. And so that's when I kind of found Break the Silence, which is based in San Diego. Um, so I reached out to them to volunteer. I met the founder, Kristen, and I felt like this immediate connection with her. We have very similar stories. Um, and it's weird now. I can talk about domestic violence all day long. And just, like, go on and on and talk to people about it. And before, I couldn't even, like, do that. And so um, it's really just, like, great to be working with survivors to help. It's really about hitting DV at the, like, at the beginning. Like, yeah, you can make laws and you can punish abusers. But that's really the aftermath after the abuse has happened. What we really want to do is hit it at the source, start educating people and building a curriculum for schools where children are learning about it. And if they see it at home, know that it's not okay, because that's the other thing. Children who do see it at home, they can also become abusers as well, because they think that's how you treat women or that's how you treat Mm -hmm. men. And that's okay. And it's really just, we have sex ed, we should have DV ed. Like it needs to be a thing because We've said that about assault, too. Like, we need to start talking about rape and assault mm-hmm. at that level yeah. when they're talking about, you know, when they're having um, sexual education classes. Right. They shouldn't have to exactly. wait until an incident happens to them or a friend to exactly. actually know that it happens. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like, I, like, women should not have to wait until they're abused to find out about what abuse is. Right. Like, yeah. That's That's horrible. crazy. Like, that's, because then you're just, like, dealing with it. For some women, it may ruin their life, and I'm just so lucky that, I mean, of course, this is going to stay with me forever. It will for it's molded me into who I am. But I am just like this, so motivated to just educate and get the word out and just have a conversation because it's so taboo. It's not talked about. Like even to this day, I haven't sat down with my parents and was like, "This is what happened to me. Like this man did this, and he hit me." And he forced himself on me. Like, that is just so awkward to talk to them about. But those conversations, like, need to be had. Mm -hmm. But people need to not be afraid of it. Even when I tell people now that I'm a survivor, they kind of look at me like, oh, shoot, like, this girl has been through a lot of shit. (laughs) And, like, there's just this stigma attached to being a survivor, whereas, like, I am so proud that I'm a survivor, and I, like, wear it with honor, and it's my truth, and... I'm not afraid of that, and I just want to, number one, want to help survivors and support them, but also I want to educate people um, and just show them that (laughs) what to look for, the signs. That's really the most important part, or what are the signs? How do you recognize it? 
what types of people are more prone to becoming abusers when you see those things in your partner just be more mindful about their actions towards you like I would have known from the first if I had known that people who are substance abusers are more likely to be abusers Mm -hmm. on that first date that would have been my first like oh keep that in the back of your head Alexa like I just didn't know these things so um it's really about um, education. That's what the Fuck DV campaign, which just came out on October 3rd, that's what that's about. It's to raise awareness, start a conversation, and all of the proceeds will go to developing a curriculum that we want to put in schools to help educate kids and just really hit DV at the source because that's the cure for DV. Mm-hmm. I think we're getting, like, honestly, the word fuck is not as offensive as domestic violence is and I think that's what we're just trying to trying to kind of show is just like people say fuck all the time we can talk about DV all the time yeah heck yeah I just think that I was telling your friend I was just like this affects all women 50% of our population like half of society is affected by this and nobody is trying to do anything about it why is that okay Mm -hmm. Why do women always get the shit under the stick? Like, (laughs) so I'm just like baffled. And so I'm trying to do and get involved as much as possible. My actual, um, my survivor story is getting released next week and it, everyone's, we're releasing one every week and it depicts a photo of a specific incident from a survivor story along with an interview. And so mine's coming out next week. So you guys are, I was really nervous. I was super nervous about doing this because I've never full out come out with my oh, story, wow. like ever. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, like, not even my therapist know my full story. So, um, it's just it was kind of emotional. I didn't know how I would kind of feel about it, but in a way, the I guess the anxiety I feel about sharing my story is so much less than the feeling I would get if I was able to just like help one person and show them that you can hit rock bottom but you can come right back up and come back and it's so cliche but you can you can come back even stronger and you can help save lives like I I can't do anything about what happened to me and I can't save myself from my abuser but I can help save so many people from theirs and like that's what I want to do it's not even it's not about like everyone always thinks like oh I want to get back at my abuser and I need some sort of like vindication or like closure and get revenge like I need to see him punished in some way like I know that he will be punished and in whatever form that may come in like he has to live with this and he's gonna I don't know what he will get his at some point and that's enough for me and that the fact that he didn't break me is enough for me the fact that I didn't kill myself for this narcissist abuser is enough for me and that I came out like in a way he made me who I am today and I'm so proud of like how far I've come in like five months (laughs) like it's unbelievable yeah the crazy thing is this all happened like within the last this year not even that long ago yeah super soon and you're already like on your you're like already out there like advocating for awareness for domestic violence and that's like amazing because there are some people that it takes so long to come to terms not even just come to terms with things like this but 
just to really like flip it and use it as an empowerment tool versus letting it bring them down for the rest of their life. And you've done that so fast. It's like incredible to see. I think I just kind of was like, I'm not going to let him take one more day of my life. Um, but no, I mean, it's going to be with me forever. I'm going to be processing and dealing with this forever. Um, I'm just choosing not to let, I don't know, I'm going to take whatever energy and that came, I don't even know, whatever passion and, like, hatred I have for him, I'm just trying to take it in a positive way Mm -hmm. and not wallow in it and, like, I don't know, I could just sit at home and do nothing, but I need to do something about it because (laughs) I just feel like, I don't know I felt I'm usually this like very shy introverted person but when it comes to this kind of stuff I feel like I just like shove DV down people's throat all the time a little bit like I'm just kind of like oh DV let me tell you about it let me tell you the facts like (laughs) let me tell you my story so when it comes to this I can talk on and on about it um but yeah it's yeah I'm not (laughs) Oh, sorry. No, I'm like you're good. You just killed it with kind of letting everything out. Um, well, we wanted to kind of bring up a couple of things too. Is you are running for Miss California, correct? I am. Yes, representing San Diego County this December. Nice. And so um, yeah. I know when we initially talked, you had mentioned even for this is this is something that um, I'll kind of let you expand on this. But you were saying that like this is something that you would have never done in the past but you're really using this as an opportunity to bring something that you really care about with this, um, like, Fuck TV campaign and bringing it to light because you have a bigger platform. So do you want to kind of expand on that? Right, yeah. So like I mentioned, I'm, like, this super shy, introverted person, and so I just kind of thought, like, what is – how can I use, I don't know, (laughs) what I have going on to, like, bring awareness to this? And I just kind of thought of pageants for some reason, and I applied, and I just thought, what – I couldn't think of a better way to bring awareness to an issue that affects females than doing a pageant um, with all of these other women who are so empowered and successful and have great platforms as well. To me, it just seemed like such a great opportunity to speak out about this on a state level and hopefully on a national level one day. Um, It's just... Yeah, I couldn't think. I was like, I can post on social media. I can, like, do all of these different things. But, like, how am I actually going to go out there and network and, like, educate people and, like, make those connections to, like, get the word out there about this? And, again, the pageants seem just like a perfect opportunity because they do focus on having a platform and what you stand for and what are you going to do with, I guess, this notoriety and the fame that comes with becoming... Miss California USA and then Miss USA Mm -hmm. and I just thought like I could do so much good and even just a little bit I guess people when you say like oh I'm doing Miss California or oh I represent this they kind of like take you more seriously when you want to talk to them about an issue I guess Mm -hmm. and it's just a way of starting a conversation instead of being this like stranger on the street that's like hey do you want to help me like raise money for this (laughs) like like, oh hey, I'm doing Miss California. Let me tell you about my platform and what I'm really passionate about. And do you want to help me? So 
it just kind of seemed like a foot in the door to kind of just start talking to random people about domestic violence and help raising awareness. So I'm really, really fortunate that I have the support of my family on this. I mean, they kind of looked at me and were like, what? You're doing what now? <laughs> like, right. you just got out of, like, treatment. What are you doing? <laughs> like, um, yeah, I applied for it a month out of treatment. So, wow. um, yeah, it was crazy. So they've just been super supportive. Um, I can't thank my friends and family, like, enough. Um, I mean, they'll hear this now and be like, wow, we didn't know anything that was going on. You only told us, like, clearly. It's <laughs> um, but, yeah, so doing this, I'm hoping to just, I've already kind of started raising awareness slowly. I got involved with BTS. Um, I'm hoping to network even more within the pageant community because, again, they're also very passionate about giving back to the community and, like, women's issues and things like that. So, awesome. Yeah, super excited. Don't think I'm going to win. Don't expect to win. Just really want to look pretty on stage. (laughs) Well, we're cheering you on. Long distance. Thank you. Um, If people were interested in getting contact, uh, if people are interested in contacting you in regards to getting involved or helping you in any way, do you have like a direct contact that they can reach you out or do you have like a preferred social media platform that they reach you out? reach out to um, you on yeah instagram's fine i'm fine with email i'm like since i'm in hr i'm like very much on my email all the time <laughs> so email is like a great way to get in contact with me i'm the worst kind of like phone or text person okay which is really <laughs> weird um I, I, it takes me like months to respond to people um uh so yeah definitely i would love to hear from anybody who wants to share their story because that in itself is like a huge step or just wants to get involved in some way like we can we're all I really feel like this community and we need to protect ourselves as women in our group and our like gender like this is an epidemic and we all need to stand together and do something about it um men and women so who I'm want to help as many people and if anyone wants to help me as well that would be awesome so we'll put all the links to your email and your social media all in the description of the podcast where you guys can find her uh, links and everything awesome okay so we like to play a game during every episode so we play a this or that type game that we brilliantly named this or that because we're very creative (laughs) we're the creative part of the creative slightly off yeah exactly for you rapid fire um this or that (laughs) literally and then you just have to say the first thing that comes to your mind no justification just say it and then we just move on to the next question that's it um oh gosh i'm scared you do have to answer (laughs) you can't say both or neither so yeah that's the idea okay uh tacos or burgers tacos skype or facetime facetime (laughs) online shopping or in store online rihanna or beyonce Beyonce. Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> you need to say it twice. <laughs> yeah. Leather jacket or a jean jacket? I gotta say leather because I'm wearing leather. <laughs> no. And I'm saying that because I'm wearing a jean jacket. So I'm like, mm, let's see where she goes with this. Nice. Yeah. Okay, that's really it. I really kind of wish I'm kind of torn about my Beyonce answer. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> Just because, like, Drake is kind of 
like my low key obsession, high key obsession, not low key. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like he's with her, so I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I kind of should have chose her. Oh, I see. Beyonce that is means also, you, like you said, wouldn't choose her. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you chose. That's true. Oh, oh, that's true. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> but I mean, whatever makes Boo happy. Is oh. <laughs> gosh we cannot thank you enough for contacting us and the cool thing is like we were going to contact you and then you reached out and it was just like perfect so no, that worked I'm out so, really so, well so glad yeah. i'm like super appreciative and like forever grateful to you guys for giving me this opportunity and i'm really glad that you guys were the first people i got to share my story with yeah, yeah thank so you for happy trusting that you us. did that yeah. yeah that it means a lot that you felt mm-hmm. like you could tell us and and know that you know just know that we have your back no matter what and we're always here to support you so please keep us in the loop of anything that you're doing and anything we can post or links or donations or whatever we can do to help just let us know and keep us posted okay thank you so much i really really admire what you guys are doing because there's no other kind of podcast out here like that so so like proud of you guys so thank you good luck with the campaign good luck at the pageant yeah (laughs) and then email us Email us all the links for stuff for um, all of the, any links, like uh, preferred oh, yeah, emails, all the DV stuff, break the silence, everything. Okay? All right. Sounds good. Thank okay. you, Thank guys. You so Thank you so much. Have a good night. So great talking Thank to you. you. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye, guys. See ya. I love her. I know. <laughs> she's so nice. Yeah. This week's episode was produced by me with post-production by Joseph Aquino. Oh, and we wanted to thank Kama app. Um, Not only have they been such a big supporter of this show just by featuring us on things and reposting and liking and commenting on a bunch of our posts, they were actually the reason that we linked up with Alexa. Uh, We had commented on a post. They do these really great features. Follow them on everything, but especially their Instagram. They do... um, they do this on their Facebook too, but like Woman Crush Wednesday, Man Crush Monday, then they have like a business segment and they actually feature really incredible people. And one of the people they had featured was Alexa and they talked about her running for um, Miss California and we had commented on it and then I sent it to Tiffany and I was like, dude, we have to get this girl on the show. Like she's incredible. And we had seen like she was doing all this domestic violence work and then she actually contacted us first and we initially, we talked to her on the phone and it was very similar to um, our phone call with Brown Rung Tea, where we wanted to talk to them for 15 minutes and it turned to like an hour-long conversation. Um, we just really hit it off with her and we think she's incredible. So, yeah, thank you to Kama App. We love to thank Brown Girl Magazine for supporting us and being such a great platform to empower young South Asian women in America. Uh, we love what you guys are doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, you can find their stuff on browngirlmag.com. You can also find them on Twitter, Instagram. Their Snapchat is so fun. Uh, at Brown Girl Mag for all of them. Make sure you check out their segment also, Brown Boy, for all you fellas out there. This week, we are so excited to introduce a new musical feature, Brundam Music. We linked up with him on Instagram, and we're very thrilled to be able to highlight this very cool Daisy artist. You can follow all of his work at Brundam Music on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Snapchat, all at Brundam Music. That's P-R-A-N-N-A Music.
So if you like leather jackets, curse words, or bullshit intolerant Indian girls, share this with someone you like. Or don't like. Someone who is a survivor. Someone who needs to be inspired. Or someone who can be educated on domestic violence. Thanks for listening. Cheers.